two passages tonight, um, so you might want to get both of those ready. The first one is from John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, and the second is from 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 24. So I'm going to start with our John passage. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And 1 Corinthians 12, from the second half of verse 24. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Here we are gathering together in the name of Jesus, and not only us in this small little gathering here at Kirui, but all over the world, Christians are continuing to find ways to gather together. When COVID first struck, I was, I was struck at how the, uh, the TV and the news items were full of stories about how Christians of all different flavours were trying as hard as they could to get something together so that they could still see each other, they could still pray together, so they could still sing together. And it wasn't just the really big churches that had terrific um, media teams that were doing this. Um, some of the most poignant and uh, moving gatherings that I saw on TV at the time were the individual pastor who was sitting at his desk in front of his computer trying to encourage a congregation. Uh, maybe he had a couple of kids on the lounge with him playing guitar, singing along, doing the best they could to continue to meet together. But obviously the problem for us as Christians during COVID has been we haven't actually been able to meet together physically. As good as those gatherings have been, it is so tremendous to be here tonight. As Jai said earlier, we want to be good citizens and we want to keep everybody safe. But we understand that when Jesus gives us a call to meet together in his name, we know that he is here in the midst of us. And so we take this really seriously. And looking around the room, it's almost comical looking around at us tonight, isn't it? Have a look around. There's a group of people who are spaced out in a cold room because we've got all the windows and the doors open. We have some of us still at home who are gathering together with us. And at the same time, we've got our masks on and, we, and we've still got smiles on our faces. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but even when you put a mask on, you can still see if someone's happy. And I'm looking around at a group of people who are feeling very content to be together and I'm sure that if you're home at the moment you're also encouraged to be able to listen to God's word together as we are again encouraged that our saviour is the same yesterday today and forever no matter what kind of hardships we go through on this earth we have the promise of eternal life and because we know we're going to live with our saviour forever that gives us hope in this life to continue to gather together well that's what tonight's topic is all about love in community what is the church and how do we gather together? And I'm going to begin by praying tonight that God would help us to be again refreshed and encouraged that what we are doing here is not just a physical gathering and when you're at home on TV, you're not just sitting on the lounge watching another TV show. When we gather to, together as Christians, as I said before, Jesus promises that he's here in the midst of us so there's a spiritual reality to what we're doing together tonight in this building that is profound and lasting and deep and abiding. So will you pray with me as we thank God for this opportunity to come together tonight. Heavenly Father, while we don't know what the future holds in the next few months and even maybe a couple of years in advance, we do know that you are the King of Heaven and we come before you now 
and speak to you with confidence as Jesus invited us to call you Father. So tonight we call you Father. And Father, we come together tonight as your children. We understand that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be the people of God. And tonight we celebrate that. Please enrich our experience, warm our hearts, even though our bodies are a little bit cold. And even though we're a little bit separated with each other tonight physically, help us to understand that spiritually we are united permanently because of what your son Jesus has done for us. And we give you great thanks and delight for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, the topic of tonight is loving community. And I want to start the, the sermon tonight by asking the big question, what is church? Now, if you were to ask uh, almost any Australian uh, in the shopping centre or walking down the street, if you said to a, an Australian that doesn't tend to go to church, what is church? What do you think their answer would be? You might have heard a, a friend of yours or a family member tell you what they think church is. What do people think church is today? Well, I want to take a, a guess here that I think m the majority of Australians would probably associate church with a building. They'd probably say, oh, those, you know, churches that are scattered around. Uh, church buildings are often called churches. The other thing they might say is maybe an institution, the Anglican church. They might talk about church as an institution or a building. But both of those terms actually couldn't be further from the truth. And the interesting thing is sometimes we as Christians, we don't help that misconception of other people because sometimes we use that sort of language ourselves when we talk about coming to church. We talk about going to the church or coming uh, to the church meeting the factory at Kirrawee. In fact, the other day I was having coffee with someone and I was talking about meeting them at the factory next week and the person paused and stopped me and said, Stuart, when you talk about the factory, why do you call the church a factory? I said, oh, because it is a factory. And he said, yeah, it is, but I was wondering, are you calling it a factory because that's the place you work and it's like your workplace? And I said, no, 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 actually, the reason I'm calling the church a factory is because we are meeting in a factory as the church. We are the church, you see, but we ourselves have, have bought into the language of calling churches buildings. And so we'll say, I'm going to church or the church is, is almost like a third person thing, like this uh, inanimate object or this institution. But we are the church. What we're going to look at tonight is the word church actually comes from the Greek word mean, uh, meaning gathering, which the Greek word is ecclesia. The word ecclesia is the Greek word to mean gathering. And you may be surprised to find out tonight that to call uh, an ecclesia an exclusive Christian thing was not something that the Greeks were used to, the Greek-speaking people, because they'd call any kind of gathering a church. This might be a little bit hard to wrap your mind around, but going down to Cronulla to support Cronulla Sharks is going to be with a church because there's a gathering of people who are gathered together. The word ecclesia, which we get our English word church from, simply means a gathering of people. So going to the sharks is a church, going to the pub is a church, going to school is a church, having Christmas dinner with your family is church. The word church means a gathering of people. So what makes the Christian church different to the pub or to the sharks or to any other gathering? And the answer is, found in Matthew 18, verse 20. Here, Jesus defines the difference between a Christian gathering or a Christian church or a Christian ecclesia and any other kind of gathering. 
while people might gather around football or gather around alcohol or gather around family, Christians gather around and with Jesus Christ. He says here in Matthew 18:20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I with them. So why are so many of us so keen to go online and watch church even if we can't get to church? Why have so many of us tonight put on face masks and rugged ourselves up to be here tonight? Physically, it's not the most pleasant experience that we usually enjoy together at Soul Revival because we're not going to have a meal tonight. We're not going to be able to give each other a hug. We're not going to be able to even sing with each other. Wasn't it weird sitting together here tonight without singing? It was the strangest feeling. But I love what Jai said when he said, sing to the Lord in your heart because isn't it true that Jesus can hear your heart sing? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus can hear you singing in your mind? Because this is a spiritual reality and this is what makes every other gathering or every other church different to our gathering. The reason that the church is most precious of all gatherings is because the Lord Jesus is here with us. Where else can you go and gather with the Lord Jesus? And there's nothing wrong with going down the Sharks and watching them play football or going to a family do or whatever other gatherings you might go to. Other churches are great for your human relationships but this relationship is great for your heavenly relationship and so tonight we gather as a different kind of church well the next question i want to come to is if the christian church is distinctive from all other churches what does it mean to belong to the christian church now again using the sharks as an example if i want to join the sharks i can get a membership at the sharks and i go to the front desk and there's some very friendly people and they'll take my name and address and my money and I'll get my credit card out and I'll pay to become a member of Cronulla Sharks. What's happened there is that's all up to me. Sure, there's some advertising in the Shire, trying to advertise the Sharks membership to people, but really, at the end of the day, it's up to people to choose whether they want to follow Cronulla or they want to follow St George or they want to follow Manly or they don't want to follow any sport. But if I want to become a member, I actually have to pay to become a member, but how do I become a member of jesus's church he pays for me to become a member where i have to pay membership to any other organization or club this club is not a club because this is different let me read to you from ephesians chapter 14 verse uh, sorry chapter 2 verse 14 to 22 to show you what i mean by this this is talking about jesus in verse 14 when paul writes and he says this for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and to peace to those who are near for through him we both have access to the father by the one spirit consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with god's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with christ himself as their chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you who are being built together become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
Now, this is so beautifully intricate and so deep that we don't have time. We don't possibly have enough time to unpack this passage in all its rigour tonight. But what we are seeing here is basically two beautiful promises to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus allowed evil men, wicked men, to arrest him and put him on a cross and kill him, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. And he had taught his disciples that he was going before them to make a way for them so that they could go back to the Father in John 14. And when he talks about that, he is actually predicting that when he goes to the cross, that is the way that his disciples are going to go so they could go through the cross to enter into a relationship with God and end up one day being in eternity in his Father's house, as he describes in John 14, where there are many rooms. He says to them, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't say so. So when Jesus dies on the cross, and Paul reflects on it in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is reflecting on the fact that Jesus turns everything upside down. He actually takes Jewish people and non-Jewish people called Gentiles who were at enmity with each other and brings them together into one family. In other words, what he's saying is this, that God, through Jesus has actually taken away the dividing wall of hostility that we personally have between us and God and us and other people. So that if I become a Christian and Monica becomes a Christian, we actually both now have the right, according to what he has earlier said in Ephesians chapter 1, to be called children of God. That yes, Jesus has died on the cross for our sin and taken punishment for what we deserve, God's wrath at our sin has been paid by Jesus so that if we put our faith in that act of Jesus on the cross, he pays for our membership in the church. So Jesus is building the church and he's building the church out of anybody on earth who will accept his sacrifice on the cross. His purpose was to create for himself a new humanity, it says there in verse 15, making peace. So when we were sinners and living our lives according to what we thought was right, as individual sinners, we were at enmity with God or at war with God. And we're often at enmity and at war with other people too. But this peace that gets offered puts to death the hostility in verse 16. And this is the peace that is preached in the name of Jesus, that those who are far away, including the Gentiles who weren't God's people, are now brought near. Through Jesus, in verse 18, we have access to the same Father through the one Spirit. So at once, we can summarise this as through Jesus' death on the cross, we are reconciled to God and we are reconciled to one another. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And here Paul starts to become beautifully elaborate with his language about describing the church because as well as being a family, as well as now being citizens of heaven, we're also described as a household, a family, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, meaning the teachings of the prophets who wrote the Old Testament and the teachings of the apostles who were at the time of writing were writing the New Testament with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. See, we are citizens, we are a family, we are a house. Paul just can't stop himself. He keeps trying to pull in all these different beautiful metaphors for who we are as Christian people in the church and all of them are about what Jesus is doing and nothing about what we do. Have you picked up on that? It's all Jesus. Jesus builds the church and all we're expected to do as Christians in the church is to express 
the reality that we have. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, my very good friend, Isaac Gordon, and I have been friends now for almost 20 years. And, and my friend, um, Isaac Gordon, over many years has taught me so much about what he thinks reconciliation in Jesus means. When I first met Isaac and, and I was first becoming friends with him, he had to tell me, Stuart, can you please stop saying sorry for all the things that have happened in the past between our two peoples? Because I must have been regularly saying, oh, Isaac, I just feel so sorry what happened with the stolen generation. I'm so sorry. And rather than diminishing my, my feeling of sorrow, my brother wasn't diminishing what I was feeling, but he was saying, but brother, we are reconciled. We don't have to build reconciliation between um, uh, our two peoples. We actually are reconciled if we put our faith in Jesus because Jesus has died for sin and he has paid for the sin. So what we need to do now, brother, is express the new reconciliation we have and brother, you and I are brothers in the same family now because of what Jesus has done. So we express that reality. As he, in verse 21, is building and joining together the church, we partner with him as he builds the church. In Galatians 3.28, this is how Paul describes it there, he says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are, are all one in Christ. I think this is an incredibly powerful and relevant topic right now in the world we live in. Sometimes I look at the news and I think to myself, it seems like our societies across the world are even more divided than we've ever been. I'm sure that's not the case. Human beings have been divided for many, many generations. But isn't it frustrating to see different groups of people within our various own Australian society really arguing and jostling and trying to work out how to move forward as a country together? How do we stop injustice? How do we overcome evil together? Paul says from Ephesians and from Galatians by putting our trust in Jesus. It almost seems too simple. Surely there's something we should do. The answer is express the reality that is new in us. In John, particularly in John 15, 14, Jesus says this, I used to call you servants, but now I call you my friends. But he goes on to say in that passage, that I call you my friends if you do what I say. In other words, you are my friends. That's another ecclesial or a, a category to describe the church. Being friends is like being a house. It's like being a family. It's like being all, a body of Christ, which has also been expressed here in Ephesians that we read earlier. All these metaphors describe a connected group of different parts, celebrating their difference and combining their difference for energetic expression of love and jesus says in john i call you my friends if you do what i say which is to do to each other what i've done for you christianity is not rocket science christianity is not particularly difficult to understand jesus is a servant he is the king of the universe and he came and he laid down his life for us and he died for us the most magnificent act of service that's ever been done and if we are to put our trust in him, we are not just to benignly sit there with a philosophy, but to actually live out a life expressing the new reality of friendship, of family, of being a body, of being built together. Christianity is a very active religion. And here, the next question I have is, so how do we live in the church if we are to be active? What are we supposed to do? Well, Hebrews 10 
25 is an encouragement for those of us who are online or who are here tonight and have made a big effort to be here. It says in Hebrews 10, 25, the author says, Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you realise by simply turning up tonight with your mask on or without your mask on, you are here to encourage? You're not just here to be encouraged, because if all of us came to be encouraged, no one would get encouraged. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? Now, sure, sometimes I'll have more need for encouragement than I'll have at other weeks. And some weeks I'll have nothing left in the tank. And I will come to, to uh, cry on someone's shoulder some weeks. Although I'll do that at a distance if I need to do that tonight. But my metaphor here is that if I'm part of the body, then the whole body needs to work together to achieve encouragement and to build up the rest of the body. Now, last night I talked about this with our young people on Friday night. And I told them, uh, with not a lot of fanfare, but I told them that um, I've uh, been going to the gym a little bit lately for a couple of years. And this week, I hit a bit of a milestone that I was excited about, that I could lift my own body weight. And I lifted up a bar with 100 kilos on it. And when I lifted that bar and put it back down, I was actually thinking about tonight's sermon, thinking there is no way that my body could have lifted that weight up by just simply a hand being actively trying to get that accomplished. Or even if my hand and my arm, or even if both hands and both arms were committed to that task, that's, it actually, and I, I can guarantee I felt it, the whole of my body had to actually be involved with lifting that weight. And I didn't just walk in one day to a garage of my coach and say, oh, I might lift that 100 kilo weight. It actually took me two years to get to a point where I could lift 100 kilos. And even now, if you look on Facebook, people are telling me, oh, you need to, you know, lift it a bit better. And I've got a long way to go still. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor for the church. If we're going to encourage each other deeply, we don't give up the habit of meeting together, just like I don't give up the habit of going to the gym regularly so that I can build my muscles up and get my body working to such an extent that I can actually take on a big challenge. I think tonight is evidence that we are taking on a big challenge. For us, this is an incredibly unusual experience. And yet there is a room full of people who are lifting the weight of this difficulty together. Because I am sure that most of us have come with enough energy to try and see if we can, see if we can encourage and build up someone else as well as be encouraged. Is that right? Is that our desire and our dream? Well, of course it is, because we're followers of Jesus. He's given us his Holy Spirit to be alive and at work in our hearts. He's changing the way we think so that we have the same kindness and compassion and the ability to forgive others that Jesus himself encourages us to have because of the work of his Spirit in us. And that's why when we come to church, Ephesians 5.19 says that we come to be with one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. I picked that verse particularly because when it goes on to say, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, I thought how relevant is that verse for us when we can't sing with our mouths? There's no reference to speaking or singing out loud in Ephesians 5.19. In fact, if we just sing with our mouths and our hearts aren't engaged with what we're singing, there's no point in singing anything actually. Because what good is it if I stand with a big group of people and I sing something I don't really mean and I don't really care about? 
But what we're doing here tonight is Zach is standing up and singing to us and our hearts are singing to the Lord. And that is just as beautiful to the Lord as we gather together as if we were singing with our mouths. Sure, our ears might not appreciate it as much, but the Lord's encouraged by our heartfelt singing to Him tonight. Acts 2, 24. This is another thing we do when we gather together. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Isn't that what we're doing when we gather together as God's people? Because after all, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, and you're probably wondering, when's Stu going to get to his favourite verse in the Bible? You'll have to put it on my headstone when I'm dead because I talk about this so often. But it's really helpfully simply defining what we do when we come to church. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. And while we've said this verse many times, hasn't it got particular relevance during COVID? For those of us that are at home and those of us who are here, we can't sing out loud with each other, but we can sing with our heart and our soul and our mind. And we can be open to being transformed in those things by the Lord. So that, in verse 38, we may ourselves put in place the greatest commandment, that we love God. And the second, which is to love our neighbours as ourselves. I want to finish briefly by saying tonight that our expression of church that Christ has built for us is still not perfect. Even though Christ is building the church and all we are meant to do is express the reality of being in church, we know, don't we, that we can get really disappointed by our experience of church because Christians can let us down because, after all, all Christians are still sinners. And in fact, if you find the perfect church, the perfect Christian church, please don't go because you'll wreck it because you're a sinner. <laughs> now, of course, that's just a funny thing to say, isn't it? Because there is no such thing as a perfect church on earth. But yet, isn't it interesting that we do judge one church versus another church? Well, that church is better than that church because they have better singing. Or that church is better than that church because they have better community. Or that church is better than that church because they've got a better pastor or a better preacher or they've got better social work or they've got better ways of looking after Christians. And we talk like that, don't we, as Christians? I'm encouraging us tonight to think about changing our language. Don't talk about going to the church. You are the church. And if the church that you go to isn't perfect, it's because you are not perfect. Let that sit with you just for a little while. Because it's easy to look around at other people in the church and think your church isn't as good as other churches because of the other people in the church. Well, actually, you're contributing to the dysfunction in your church along with everybody else. After all, Jesus didn't say he came to look after the healthy. He came to the sick. You wouldn't go to a hospital and get disappointed in the hospital because you ran into a sick person. And you wouldn't go to the hospital if you yourself were healthy. Yet we go to this beautiful spiritual hospital together to be with Jesus so that he can actually be transforming us day by day so that we might actually grow and have victory over sin and express better and better how to live as a Christian as we belong to the church. We live in a very individualistic, very consumeristic and very transient world. The Christian church is an antidote to those three problems in our society. 
instead of everybody only living as an individual and only thinking about things from how it affects them, we as Christians are learning to be like Jesus, to think of how we can help other people instead of just help ourselves. We're not individualistic, we're corporate because we are part of a body. Do you know when, we read the, when you read the Bible, particularly Ephesians, when it says you in Ephesians time and time again, you must do this or you must think of this or you must be encouraged by this. Do you know in the Greek, the you in the Greek is plural, not singular? Yet so often before someone pointed that out to me, I just used to think that was talking to me as an individual because I live in an individualistic world. Yet in Romans 12, Paul says we have to be transformed in our thinking, not to think like Australians, but to think like Christians because our citizenship is now in heaven and now we think differently. It's not just about me. How can I not consume church when I come along to church, but how can I contribute to church and how can I help make it stronger through my personal ministry? Knowing, and this is where I'll end, knowing that one day the church will be perfect. Do you know when that will be? Do you know when the church of Christ will be the ideal church where there's no more rude people, there's no more selfish people, there's no more people who overlook your hard work and never give you any thanks, there's no more grumbling and complaining, there's no one to let you down, there's no one to hurt you anymore. It will actually be like that in the church one day but not until we are gathered together in the new heaven and the new earth to be with Jesus because when we pass away after the second coming and Jesus comes to take us home the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are still alive will go and be with him in the air and then we will go to be before the throne of God in 1 John 2 28 to 29 John says this and now dear children continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before his coming that's a prophecy for the second coming. Jesus will come back. He might even come back tonight as we're leaving. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus came back tonight and found us all walking out of church with our masks on? And he's like, you know what? That makes me very happy that you put that effort in. Or if Jesus comes back to tonight and you're sitting in front of your TV right now and you're, you're here in front of the TV because you really want to be encouraged. And you know a funny thing? Even when you watch church on TV, you encourage the pastors here. Because there's a little number on Facebook that says that there's a number of people who are watching the service. And even that little number encourages us that people care. Verse 29 in 1 John 2. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We are transformed people so that when we come to Revelation 21 verse 1 to 5, one day we will stand before the throne without sin anymore. And so what we do now in the present is we live as much as we can like we will then. Instead of being individualistic, we try and think of other people. Instead of just thinking how the church is looking after me, we think about how we can use the gathering of the church to be part of the church and actually help other people within our family. And instead of just living our lives transitorily, we actually know there's a stability in our life that comes from the fact that our identity is in where we are going, not where we come from. So finally, I want to end with the words of John 3, 3, where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So my encouragement to all of us tonight is if this sounds like gobbledygook to you and you would like to live in this new reality, talk to the Lord about it.
it might be that some of us here tonight even tonight might not yet have made that step of faith to put their trust in jesus can i encourage you that's the starting point of church the start of church is to get your relationship with jesus right and then all of this stuff flows out so i'm going to end with a prayer that helps us to remember this as we finish tonight dear heavenly father we thank you for your love for us we thank you for this beautiful promise that you give us that you're building the church and that we are a brand new community, a spiritual gathering, unlike any other gathering in Sydney right now that isn't a Christian gathering. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have actually helped us to become a new people and you've brought peace to our life. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to grow strong in the knowledge of that so we might help be to build up this little family here at Kirawee to be part of the whole family of God across the whole world and through time. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.